Hey, Stella Romanin eDiscovery fans, I'm your host, Mary Rectoris. And I'm your co-host, Mila Taylor. Stella Women shines a light of female leaders making their mark in tech. want to provide an update for listeners. I think a couple episodes ago, Mila talked about our stellar colleague, Liz, who was running a Ironman. And Mila said that she was working towards getting her certificate in personal training and was going to write me a robust plan so I can be fit for the summer and wanted to get a status update on that. Yeah, I actually, uh, I haven't passed my exam yet. Well, I haven't taken the exam. So I don't feel comfortable providing you with anything. I don't want to lead you astray, you know? Well, I guess that's kind of hard because it's midway through summer. I, I can't really start till 2020. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Got to wait till 2020. We're excited to have our guest all the way from Canada. Today we have Kelly Friedman. Hey, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you here. And we saw in your nomination, there was just a wealth about what you do at your firm, outside your firm. How would you summarize what you do? At my firm, I really have a role with two overriding aspects. The first one is I run the discovery services team, which is really an internal e-discovery business inside Borden Ladner Gervais. So I have 17 people, mostly technical people, most of whom are, are relativity RCAs working in my group. And so I run that business from, you know, the profitability perspective, hiring and firing, managing that team. The other aspect is I give legal and strategic advice on e-discovery projects. With respect to all aspects, I dive right in. I'll be in databases and be culling, giving advice on, on strategic searching and the use of analytics. And more broadly, with respect to uh, discovery motion, discovery strategy more generally when litigation is starting or throughout. When I started a year and a half ago at Borden Landner Gervais, I'd never been on the business side. I was a litigation partner at a law firm. So having this business aspect and working in operations has been fantastic and I've learned so much. It's been very interesting. That's great. So you do have so much on your plate. How have you learned to prioritize? What is kind of the method you go through? The method. No method to the madness, really. <laughs> you know, I think my philosophy is one thing at a time, really focus on getting one thing at a time right. And I don't mean one thing a day because that would be insane. Probably I do 100 things a day. Really not let myself get overwhelmed. There is, um, I have to say, just a lot going on. When you, uh, you know, I'd been practicing for over 20 years as a, as a litigator. And so your focus is so much on billable work. And in this role, I've got billable work, but I also have extremely important non-billable work. And I can't do what I used to do with say, well, the client comes first because the client is also all the lawyers in the firm. 
I've got to manage the team properly so that they can be served. So it's really a focus of, of one thing at a time and taking one day at a time and, you know, taking moments um, every week or so to really reflect on what's been accomplished and what I need to accomplish going forward. So I, I really do take those kind of check-in breaks with myself, spend time just thinking about the priorities for the next week or two. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. So you were a litigator before your current role? Yes. So did you always want to be a lawyer? I did not. And in fact, um, when I was a young child who was very argumentative, I had the adults always saying, oh, you're going to be a lawyer. And I was adamant that I was not going to be a lawyer. Um, Sure enough, I became one. What happened was I was doing my undergraduate degree in business at McGill and was looking where to go next. And I wanted to have a route out of Quebec. I wanted to move to Ontario. So I used law school as that route to do it. I got student loans and moved to Toronto and um, went to law school. And thank God I did. I almost quit law school a few times. Money was really, really tight. And so happy I plugged through with it because it's been a, a, a wonderful, exciting career and that the, the evolution that I've had in the past couple of years has been really remarkable and keeping me really energized. And speaking of that evolution, we noticed that you were nominated for Canada's 25 Most Influential Lawyers by Canadian Lawyer Magazine. So just kind of digging into that a bit, what does influential mean to you? Really gets at the ability to affect positive change. Certainly you can influence negative change. But when I think of someone who's influential, I think someone who could affect positive change, do so in a matter that doesn't overwhelm or cause stress around them, but but really uh, incremental change that people are comfortable with. You know, I think that's pretty fair of what I think influential means. Yeah, I think that's a great digestible response to it. I think sometimes it's just a buzzword that X person is influential, but what does that actually mean? Speaking of those digestible and changes that they can help you through your life. Who are the most influential people in your life or an influential moment? In my career, I'll talk just from the career perspective. When I was in law school, um, I had a friend who was a bit older and who was in the working world already. And she once told me a piece of advice that I think I repeat in my head and repeat to mentees and people that, that work with me really often, you know, probably at least once a month, and that's under promise and over deliver. And I really do that. I really, if I know I can get something for Thursday, I tell them you can have it for Friday, and I get it for them for Thursday. You know, it's something as simple as that. And I think if you under promise and over deliver, you really get people's trust. You never, you know, occasionally you'll, you have a situation where you have to go back to people and say your timing is problematic. And of course, there's situations where you need extensions on work. But to the best of my ability, I do that. I, I don't tell them when I expect to be finished. I give myself a little leeway and try to outperform that goal. And it's alleviating stress on yourself. Knowing that you've got a little more time to do something. Quite frankly, the feeling that I'm going to get this to them and they're going to be relieved that they didn't have to wait to the last minute. Again, lawyers are very impatient. They're under a lot of stress. They've got um, a lot on their plate and their schedules are really tight. And I know that when I had junior lawyers working for me and I was waiting for something and they said they'd get it to me, you know, Wednesday by end of business, I'd already start, if I really needed that work product, I'd already start getting antsy, you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday, where is it? Because I absolutely need to work on it tonight. 
And so I appreciate so much when people do that for me, which is probably one of the reasons I try to do that for other people. Yeah, and I think it's over-communicating because people say end of day. So what's end of day to you? Is that a 5 p.m. deadline or someone else? And you don't want to be that person that's emailing them at 5.01, where's this? End of day Pacific time? (laughs) Tricky. One of the key things, communication is extremely important. Part and parcel of that, what I've, I've had to learn to do, and you know, everybody's got their weaknesses and I've struggled with my whole career, is emotionality. Trying not to get too emotional, letting things roll off your back. Someone mistreats you, probably it's because something is going on in their life. Really to always take a step back and try to take emotion out of your business decisions. And it's one of those things I'll struggle with my entire life because I'm a very emotional person, very empathetic, but um, it's so important in the business world to think really clearly and strategically and not let emotions cloud your judgment. Taking the time, you know, something happens and you have some time to react. So you, you get an email, you don't like the tone, don't respond to it right away. Take some time calm down, think it through. I used to be, a, when I'm younger, when I was younger, and I guess it's most young people, I was really impetuous, right? Like, I know what I want to say, and I'm going to say it right away, and I assume that nothing's going to change overnight. But I have learned that is not the case. I handle things a lot better if there's an emotional component, if I take a step back and just take a time out from it. So if you can do that, very important, I think, to do that. And uh, I continue to do that to this day. Me too. I am a big believer in sleeping on it. There'll be often times where I'll like be very passionate about something and I'll be heated in the moment and I'll just say like, okay, am I going to wake up tomorrow morning and feel the same way? And often I don't. Often I've cooled down and I maybe have the same core opinion, but my approach is completely different. Your analysis is probably going to be the same. Your approach will be different. Um, If you're speaking to someone or writing, your tone will be different. Um, And you'll be, plain and simple, you'll be more professional. Mm -hmm. And that's just part of growing in a career is learning how to kind of spot your your weaknesses and learn how to cope with them and manage them. I mean, I'm never going to get rid of that weakness. Just manage it better over time. You can also do the simpler approach of like, count backwards from 10 or something like that. Like just remind yourself as soon as you feel your kind of ire getting up, your face getting red, it's just like in your head backwards from 10. And then you'll, you might find it just from that. All right. Why was I so heated? Mm-hmm. You know, you can be able to just speak more clearly. When I was little, I used to play, I used to play basketball and I loved it. And I would get infuriated when people on my team wouldn't take it as seriously as me and I was just crazy. (laughs) I hated people like you. Yeah, me too. I like to like mess around with my friends. (laughs) I couldn't understand why people would come to the game and not be so serious about it. Like it was just unfathomable to me. But my mom would always tell me to tap each finger. That's another one. Tap each finger. Just something that takes a little bit of time and a little bit of concentration, not too much. Yeah, I'd have to stand in the court and go through with my thumb and tap every single finger. And I'd be standing there like, Mom, it's not working. Mom, you're making me mad. This is a dumb exercise. (laughs) (laughs) You have a team of 17? Yeah, I have really good people working under me. And um, in particular, an absolutely fabulous director. I've got a couple of directors in different capacities, one that manages really operations and one that does education and development. Without my director of operations, I, I, I could not function. She's got a lot of experience. She's been at the firm much longer than I have. She knows the game and she's a real team player. I think that make, that makes a, a big impact. I mean, I never managed anyone before. 
I started at BLG, other than, you know, as a senior lawyer, I had junior lawyers or students or assistants or that type of thing, but never managed a team, you know, walk in and expect everybody just to treat me like Kelly, like, hey, what's going on? And then tell you just an interesting story. It just made me appreciate hierarchy a little bit more and that I have to be more respectful of it. When I first started and I was meeting people for the first time, I wanted to take each person out for lunch, just me and them, get to know them. Like, do you have a dog? Like, just chat. Like, this not a second interview. This is nothing like that. And I was told at one point by one of the managers that one of the women was petrified to have the lunch with me and didn't want to go. And I was just dumbfounded. I'm like, I just want to say hi. Like, when I chatted with someone at my office about it who's been in the business world for a long time, she said this to me, you're her boss's boss's boss. You have to expect that people are going to be intimidated by that kind of hierarchy. And it really resonated with me. I hadn't thought about that at all. I thought someone who works on the team, we're going to go for lunch, like like pals. I, I, I really, I knew that, that my role, technically I was a boss, but but I really hadn't thought about that. She had, you know, they had a manager over them and then a director over them and then me in terms of a hierarchy. I feel like I have, I still have a lot to learn. There's, I mean, I've learned a ton in a year and a half. There's been a steep learning curve in terms of how to manage people. But I think that really helped focus me a bit more on, remember that there is a hierarchy. Let the people that are under you do their job. Don't try to manage everybody on the team, manage the people that are directly under me and let them manage their teams and be available as needed. So what do you look for in a manager? If you want a manager to hire a certain segment of your team, what are some core qualities that you think make for a successful manager? Subject matter expertise is important because it's really hard to get people's confidence and respect if you don't have the subject matter expertise. So subject matter expertise is up there. Probably just as important is the people skills, the ability to give, again, this is very difficult to do, to give direct feedback and to be able to give criticism in a direct professional way and a in a way that will affect positive change and, and not be seen as um, just criticism for criticism's sake. Um, so that kind of um, attitude towards your peers is really important. And I guess the, the third thing would be really a team player. People who really feel that they're part of a team, the best for the team and want to improve the team. And there are people who are much more, that are great workers and fantastic, but they're much more individualistic. Um, they focus on their own career growth and there's nothing wrong with that. But in terms of a manager, I think it's really important to have someone who really thinks beyond their own career growth and really thinks of the team's growth as a whole. And I think that makes them really, you know, useful as a manager, as a mentor, help people along and combined with the other skills of being able to give constructive criticism and subject matter expertise. I guess you kind of touched on it, but more junior and maybe looking to switch roles or switch teams. What would you what advice would you give them in terms of what is a red flag in a manager? What should they maybe scout up beforehand and say, hang on, maybe this isn't the right manager for me? Well, I think micromanaging is probably a big one for me. I would think if the manager is a micromanager and you're someone who really wants to grow in your career, very hard to grow in your career with a micromanager. You know, they simply don't let you do enough on your own and be creative enough 
to get the experience that you need to have. So I think micromanaging is a big thing. The other thing is temperament. So we're talking about how they deal with people, but um, temperament is so important. Again, working in law firms my whole career, litigators especially, they can fly off the handle really easily. I mean, I had, when I was young, I, my office was beside a senior partner and probably once every couple of weeks, a box would fly against the wall. Like I'd hear a big bang and it would be that he would be so pissed at something that he would kick a box in his office and it would go flying against the wall in my office. He's one of the absolute best litigators I know and he's now a judge of the Court of Appeal. So there's, but in terms of that, wouldn't really want someone with that kind of temperament to be my manager. Um, and at the same time, given especially how I was when I was younger, I wouldn't want someone who was too emotional to be my manager. Mm -hmm. So that constantly reminds me, I have to try not to be that way. Because I wouldn't want my manager taking things personally, getting too angry or too upset about mistakes, but trying to be more even keeled. I think that's great advice just to be a bit more terms as a manager and as a direct report just to be a bit more introspective and I think a key takeaway that I can take away from this is just to kind of take a step back and just assess the situation and slow down so even if you're if your workday is going a mile a minute it's amazing what 10 or 20 seconds of just that introspection can do my apple watch tells me to breathe oh same. I was at a, a mindfulness session recently that I had at the firm that everyone was invited to go to. And I haven't looked at it in a while, but I put up on my bulletin board, there was something like 10 tips. And one of them involved breathing, your, you know, like your three minute breathing session. So no, you're working, you're having a busy day. You feel like you don't even have time to go to the bathroom. Like one of those days, you can take three minutes to breathe even on a day like that, mm -hmm. like really the three minutes, not gonna, not gonna affect your day so much, but moments like that are so important. I think people roll their eyes when they hear about yoga or mindfulness. And I think I was one of those people for years. I started yoga like a year ago and I love it. I'm on board. I've calmed down slightly. <laughs> Still working on it. Still not doing crow pose yet, but small steps. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you one final question, which is not anything kind of related to what we've been talking. We are going to take advantage of the fact that we have a guest from Toronto. Okay. So what is something that most people don't know about Toronto? Toronto. So I'm originally from Montreal. So I moved to Toronto. Oh, God, I can't believe how long ago it is now. 1991. So it's a long time ago. But one of the things that struck me about Toronto that I don't think people from outside Toronto know, is that it's a city of villages. You know, it's it's a big city but it has a really strong Portuguese area, really strong Greek area, really strong Italian neighborhood. It's really a city of neighborhoods. And so even though it's a big city, you can have that kind of neighborhood vibe. And for visitors, I would really recommend you explore the different neighborhoods, not just kind of the downtown core or the main tourist attractions, but go to the various neighborhoods and kind of feel that different vibe because it's really multicultural and there's lots of these different kinds of pockets of interesting neighborhoods with more different food, different, you know, just really a different vibe about them. I'm dying to go to Canada. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kelly, for swinging by. Oh, you're so welcome. A pleasure. And for Stellar Woman, I'm Mary Rectoris. And I'm Mila Taylor, signing off.